was a connoisseur in horseflesh. The appearance of the said pony at Mern, which place he had entered about a quarter of an hour before, by the gate of Beaugency, produced an unfavorable feeling which extended to his master. And this feeling had been the more painfully perceived by young D'Artagnan, for so was the Don Quixote of this second Rosinante named from his not being able to conceal from himself the ridiculous appearance that such a steed gave him, good horseman as he was. He had sighed deeply, therefore, when accepting the gift of the pony from Monsieur d'Artagnan the Elder. He was not ignorant that such a beast was worth at least twenty livres, and the words which accompanied the present were above all price. "'My son,' said the old Gascon gentleman, in that pure beyond patois of which Henry IV could never get rid. My son, this horse was born in the house of your father about thirteen years ago, and has remained in it ever since, which ought to make you love it. Never sell it. Allow it to die tranquilly and honorably of old age, and if you make a campaign with it, take as much care of it as you would of an old servant. At court, provided you have the honor to go there, continued Monsieur d'Artagnan the Elder, an honor to which, remember, your ancient nobility gives you right, sustain worthily your name of gentleman, which has been worthily borne by your ancestors during five hundred years, both for your sake and that of those who belong to you. By these I mean your relations and friends. Endure nothing from anyone but Monsieur le Cardinal and the King. It is by his courage, please to observe, by his courage alone, that a gentleman can make his way nowadays. Whoever trembles for a second perhaps allows the bait to escape, which during that exact second fortune held out to him. You are young. You ought to be brave for two reasons. The first is that you are a Gascon, and the second is that you are my son. Never fear quarrels, but seek hazardous adventures. I have taught you how to handle a sword. You have thews of iron, a wrist of steel. Fight on all occasions. Fight the more for duels being forbidden, since consequently there is twice as much courage in fighting. I have nothing to give you, my son, but fifteen crowns, my horse, and the counsels which you have just heard. Your mother will add to them a recipe for a certain balsam, which she had from a bohemian, and which has the miraculous virtue of curing all wounds that do not reach the heart. Take advantage of all, and live happily and long." I have but one word to add, and that is to propose an example to you, not mine, for I myself have never appeared at court, and have only taken part in religious wars as a volunteer. I speak of Monsieur de Treville, who was formerly my neighbor, and who had the honor to be as a child the playfellow of our King Louis XIII, whom God preserved. Sometimes their play degenerated into battles, and in these battles the king was not always the stronger. 
The blows which he received from him gave him a certain esteem and friendship for Monsieur de Treville. Afterward, Monsieur de Treville fought with others in his first journey to Paris five times, from the death of the late king to the majority of the young one, without reckoning wars and sieges, seven times, and from that majority up to the present day, a hundred times perhaps, so that in spite of edicts, ordinances, and decrees, there he is captain of the musketeers, that is to say, leader of a legion of Caesars, whom the king holds in great esteem, and whom the cardinal dreads. He who dreads nothing, as it is said. Still further, Monsieur de Treville gains ten thousand crowns a year. He is therefore a great noble. He began as you begin. Go to him with this letter, and make him your model, in order that you may do as he has done. Upon which Monsieur d'Artagnan the Elder girded his own sword round his son, kissed him tenderly on both cheeks, and gave him his benediction. On leaving the paternal chamber, the young man found his mother, who was waiting for him with the famous recipe of which the counsels we have just repeated would necessitate the so frequent employment. The adieus were on this side longer and more tender than they had been on the other. Not that Monsieur d'Artagnan did not love his son, who was his only offspring, but Monsieur d'Artagnan was a man, and he would have considered it unworthy of a man to give way to his feelings, whereas Madame d'Artagnan was a woman, and still more a mother. She wept abundantly, and let us speak it to the praise of Monsieur d'Artagnan the Younger, Notwithstanding the efforts he made to be as firm as a future musketeer ought to be, nature prevailed, and he shed many tears, of which he succeeded with great difficulty in concealing the half. The same day the young man set forward on his journey, furnished with the three paternal presents, which consisted, as we have said, of fifteen crowns, the horse, and the letter for Monsieur de Treville, the counsels being thrown into the bargain. With such a vademecum, d'Artagnan was morally and physically an exact copy of the hero of Cervantes, to whom we so happily compared him, when our duty of an historian placed us under the necessity of sketching his portrait. Don Quixote took windmills for giants, and sheep for armies. D'Artagnan took every smile for an insult, and every look as a provocation whence it resulted that from Taubes to Meung his fist was constantly doubled, or his hand on the hilt of his sword, and yet the fist did not descend upon any jaw, nor did the sword issue from its scabbard. It was not that the sight of the wretched pony did not excite numerous smiles on the countenances of passers-by, but as against the side of this pony rattled a sword of respectable length, and as over this sword gleamed an eye rather ferocious than haughty, these said passers-by repressed their hilarity, or, if hilarity prevailed over their prudence, they endeavored to laugh only on one side, like the masks of the ancients. D'Artagnan, then, remained majestic and intact in his susceptibility till he came to this unlucky city of Meng. 
But there, as he was alighting from his horse at the gate of the Franc Meunier, without anyone, host, waiter, or ostler, coming to hold his stirrup or take his horse, D'Artagnan spied, through an open window on the ground floor, a gentleman well-made and of good carriage, although of rather a stern countenance, talking with two persons who appeared to listen to him with respect. D'Artagnan fancied, quite naturally, according to his custom, that he must be the object of their conversation, and listened. This time D'Artagnan was only in part mistaken. He himself was not in question, but his horse was. The gentleman appeared to be enumerating all his qualities to his auditors, and, as I have said, the auditors seeming to have great deference for the narrator, they every moment burst into fits of laughter. Now, as a half-smile was sufficient to awaken the irascibility of the young man, the effect produced upon him by this vociferous mirth may be easily imagined. Nevertheless, D'Artagnan was desirous of examining the appearance of this impertinent personage who was laughing at him. He fixed his haughty eye upon the stranger, and perceived a man of from forty to forty-five years of age, with black and piercing eyes, a pale complexion, a strongly marked nose, and a black and well-shaped mustache. He was dressed in a doublet and hose of a violet color, with aguillettes of the same, without any other ornaments than the customary slashes through which the skirt appeared. This doublet and hose, though new, looked creased like traveling clothes for a long time packed up in a portmanteau. D'Artagnan made all these remarks with the rapidity of a most minute observer, and doubtless from an instinctive feeling that this unknown was destined to have a great influence over his future.